This is CliffCentral.com. David Bowie. Gosh. Our producer Duncan chooses the music on the show. I must apologize. That was the worst, most depressing song in the world. Dumelang. Rory. Why are you so soft? Uh, I'm a soft guy. I'm a gentle guy. You're a lover, not a hater. Huh? A lover, not a hater. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks to Gareth Cliff and the team back again tomorrow, 6 till 9. It is, frankly speaking, previously known as the Konza Show, if you missed it, with uh, Rory Sang and Andrew Levy. Uh, we've got a really, really interesting show coming. Yeah, it's a, just before we get into the show, how dapper does Gareth look in a suit? Did you see him yesterday? You mean his birthday suit? Frank. <laughs> you mean that Speedo? Yeah. Oh, well, we got to talk not, about that. Yeah, uh, the guy obviously that. didn't have a holiday because there was frankly no, speaking, no Gareth, tanning on that. Frankly speaking, somebody <laughs> should get Gareth into court more often so he can wear that. He can wear a suit. <laughs> anyway, interesting show today, Zim. You know, we, we there's always this thing of, oh my goodness, we're about to become a Zimbabwe. Oh my goodness, the, the rand is going down. Can you do the uh, right accent, please? No, I'm not going to do the right accent. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. South Africa is turning into Zimbabwe. It's terrible out there. What's going on there? I can't stand it. I can't stand it, Marge. You know, it's just, it's just Marge. unbelievable. <laughs> I haven't had a Marge in ages. Okay. Oh. All right. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah. so what? I think the key thing here is uh, let's just let's just figure out if we're panicking uh, unnecessarily or if it is indeed true that we are headed the way that Zimbabwe had uh, went. Uh, of course, there are people that look at what happened in Zimbabwe and say, what's so wrong with it? You'll remember that Julius Malema uh, recently said, you say what you want about the Zimbabweans. The one thing is that they're going to be the only country, uh, the only people on this continent that own their own land after a few years once all of this pain is done with. So it's it's it's, it's an interesting, it's it's a topical issue because first of all, there's all of the opinions and then there's 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 the facts uh so so we want to unpack and we also want to unpack what is it exactly that led to zimbabwe being zimbabwe uh, so that we can figure out what it is that's going to undo south africa if we do become undone eventually so was it was it what happened with the zim dollar was it the farm invasions uh was it uh, uh president bob mugabe going loony as some might uh, suggest he did was it the justice system collapsing was it a combination of those and how far are we as south africa from that 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 eventuality as well? Well, where we also, uh, I mean, we have we have uh, Jacob Zuma who fires people willy nilly uh, when he pleases. Uh, we've got the rand that's uh, that's all of a sudden gone from eleven to the dollar to close to twenty to the dollar. Um, we we increasingly have riots and so on. We spoke to to somebody that was in Zimbabwe around the time that the collapse was happening, and uh, Andrew he spoke to you about traffic lights and said that was the indicator. <laughs> I think he was being a little bit overdramatic there with just traffic lights being the indicator. But yeah, I, like I want to say on on record here because a lot of people have been you know getting us on Twitter and you can hook us up with your thoughts at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore L E V Y. Tell us what you think. Is South Africa becoming a Zimbabwe? Um, but I just want to categorically state that my feelings is that we're nowhere near a Zimbabwe. Mm. Have you been to Zim? 
I haven't been to Zim. You've never been to Zim? Okay. So I went to Zim in 2002, and we can talk a little bit more about it. But when you – and that was after a huge amount of hyperinflation. Mm. Uh, That was after a complete dive in confidence uh, from the international community and huge embargoes. It was like a ghost country. Mm -hmm. There was nothing going on. Mm. Now – I'm not saying that I'm the most uh, in the know, and that's why we've got amazing people lined up to talk to us about Is South Africa becoming a Zim. But let me tell you something. <laughs> From that perspective, we are miles, but miles do you think, away. Do you think that I'm at tired some of people going, South Africa is going to become a Zimbabwe. Who are you? What but, do you but, think? But, but, do you, but, but don't you think there was a time when Zimbabweans thought, never? What? Not a chance. We're so educated best schools and so on not a chance i don't think so i think there was there was a, a a very very different vibe in zimbabwe compared to compared to south africa recall that what happened in zimbabwe and and we'll speak to an expert on this in just a little bit um there was an independence from the british colony mm. Uh, but it was to the white majority. So that happened in 1960. And then in 1980, there was full independence when uh, ZANU-PF, um, he was the prime minister at the time, uh, Robert Mugabe took over. And there was a whole bunch of bush wars in between. There was a whole bunch of land grabs afterwards. So I don't think it's as easy to say, yeah, no, but I mean, Zimbabweans were also living the high life and that they were all excited and, and that they thought nothing was going on and nothing was wrong. There were huge, huge problems that weren't addressed. And I think credit to South Africa, we addressed one or two of those issues uh, in 1994. I think so. I'm coming into this with uh, with an open mind. I really don't know. Um, and, and it's probably because I don't know enough about what happened in Zim. I, I obviously know the, the high-level stuff, but I didn't really follow the story in enough detail to say I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm cautious to say that we're not becoming a Zim. I think uh, what happened in Zim can happen in this country. Uh, it... it, it Overnight, right? Uh, if 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 a finance minister can get fired overnight like that, and and without intervention, um, the the economy allowed to go into freefall, what stops us from becoming that? As 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 far fetched as it might sound right now. So, I'm I'm and I'm also thinking around people who who, who say, look. We're never going to fix the system the way it is. The, the inequality in this country and everything, we're never going to fix it. And maybe we need to just break everything apart um, and then start from, from scratch. And it might seem odd, it might seem crazy, but who knows if Zim uh, went through a process of, of cleansing. And I don't know, and, and, and like I said, I might be very ignorant. Um, and I know that there are a lot of Zimbabweans that would disagree with me, but if the process, if, if, if what they went through was a process of cleansing and they might come out of it on the other side, uh, uh, stronger, is there a possibility that, uh, that might happen? Um, so I, I think the conversation is worthwhile because those of us that are just, that, that just have opinions that are not even based on a shred of knowing the history of Zim or at least having put a foot uh, in, in, Zimbabwe. in Zim can at least become informed. So we stop speaking the ignorant things that we tend to speak around uh, dinner tables. And I think that's the thing about frankly speaking is we want to make sure that you can speak frankly, but that there's also some sense to what we're speaking. And if this is a myth that uh, South Africa is headed the way of Zim, then we need to just uh, bust it.
Straight up. I think that's that's a great way to start the show. Remember, we are now two hours long, nine until 11. So we are here with you for two hours. Uh, get in touch with us on WeChat where the messages are coming through at cliffcentral.com. And also on uh, Twitter, uh, there's been a lot of discussions already starting. I can see. I can see. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have a show on our hands here. You can hit us up at, at Rory Shavalala or at Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y. Let us know your thoughts. Is South Africa... Becoming a Zimbabwe. Anyone, therefore, who dares go against the law, go against the security and stability of our country, and who dares any group of persons to embark on a campaign of violence or terrorist activities will be inviting the full wrath of the law to descend mercilessly on him or on those who follow him. But when we have said two terms, ah, we have not done much. And two terms was like two weeks. So we want to go more. You want another or another term and you must find an excuse. It's a magnificent achievement and for us as a people to finally put a stop to this achievement, the president will be running for re-election in the forthcoming presidential election for another six-year term. I'm ready to be deployed anywhere at any time by this movement. Even if it's for two hours, even if it's for four days, or even if I might be redeployed tomorrow, I'm ready. We are happy that our neighbors have supported our land reform program. Usage of the willing, buyer willing, seller policy has had unsatisfactory results. I will never, never sell my country. I will never, 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 never surrender. Oh, yes, but the land reform is the best thing that could ever happen. The best thing? Yes, that could ever have happened to an African country. Zimbabwe is mine. So that's how we start the show here, Wednesday, 9 o'clock on Frankly Speaking. Zimbabwe oh. is mine. How the, yo, how was that? You know, I, I've been, in preparation for the show, I was looking at a whole bunch of interviews of a very young Robert Mugabe. Wow. Yeah, he was what very an impressive, man. What an impressive man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can I say that I, I don't agree with his policies or him as a person, but he's still impressive. 95 running a country. <laughs> I, I mean, most people are senile by 95 and he's running a well, country. Some might argue he's also senile. <laughs> the yeah, fact that true. he's that's running a, a country a very does good not point. mean... Uh, that is a very good point. It doesn't give much hope, right? Yeah, fair yeah, enough, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So, and, uh, so Twitter's already, I mean, uh, social media, everybody is just jumping in. Warlock uh, on Twitter says, uh, we're already there, the irony. So don't talk about are we becoming Zimbabwe. We're already there, Warlock says. Yo, why, uh, do you, why does Warlock think that we're already there? He needs yeah, to team need justify to, a little well, bit. He needs to tell us. Uh, Simba S on WeChat says, as a Zimbabwean, I can tell you that there was a time when we thought we would never 
in capital letters, become like Zambia. Their currency was laughable, and the Zimbabwean dollar was one, um, one to one to eight against the U.S. dollar. Be careful, South Africa. You see, mm-hmm. these things were like a boiling frog. We're sitting there. We think it won't happen to us, but they. they there, there might be a scenario where we're the ones uh, uh, jumping the borders into into other countries because things have gotten just out of hand here, and we we think it's it's very far off. But so, these things take a, a split second to happen. I think one thing that is very very concerning is that South Africa always has had this this uh, feeling as a country that we are better than Africa, mm-hmm. and that we are above what Africa went through, and perhaps. The reckoning day will come where we realize we are the exact, we are part of the, the continent. The reckoning day will come when we realize that we are Africa. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now listen, we've got uh, some really interesting people on, uh, on the show today. Uh, the first gentleman is a, a gentleman by the name of Aiden Weatherall. He is the editor of the Zim Independent newspaper. Um, he joins us on the line because I think, Rory, one of the things that maybe you and I as young South Africans aren't aware of is the history of, of Zimbabwe and, and specifically around that late 1990s period. Mm. So, uh, we invited Aiden to, to speak to us. He's on the phone from Harare, um, to discuss that period of time specifically and what went down in Zimbabwe. Mm. What went down in that period where there was suddenly land grabs, when there was hyperinflation, when you could get a one billion Zim dollar note, yeah. when the economy just went crazy, when white people were running away, when you, the average Zimbabwean couldn't even afford a loaf of bread. What happened? Yeah, and I think it's it's important, uh, and that's why Aiden is is very important for this conversation. Is that uh, to provide us context before that time as well? Because uh, we, some of us, those that have never been to Zimbabwe, who are ignorant about these things, I think uh, go through it and think that things were always this way, and that Zimbabwe was always destined to be what we know it as today. But it wasn't. Zimbabwe is actually a very impressive country if you look at the history. If you look at the things that they've managed to do you know very good education system and so on right so 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 i think that's something that we need to get is context of where were they because we might be shocked to discover that zimbabwe was in a better position than than we are in south africa and they also then ended up where they are let's let's not forget that the arab spring started with just a spark of, of of let's say matches with the person putting himself on fire right so so these things don't take they don't need a long time to happen it can happen instantaneously and the question is do we have the right uh, fuel to make sure that when this the spark goes off this country uh, uh, comes alight all right so we we're, we're going to get in touch with Aiden right now um lines to zimbabwe Failing us a little bit, but we will get him as soon as possible. In the meantime, on Twitter, not my number one handle. What a, what a Twitter handle name. At not my number one handle says, South Africa cannot fix inequality unless we break everything apart. Start from scratch. I agree with you. We should have conversations regardless of what happened. We can only talk about our own experiences. I cannot comment on Zim. And I think the important discussion is not compare us to any other country. We are the nation who should set the example of unity why i'm also wondering i'm also wondering well, about what this what makes south africa so exceptional yeah? 
This is the thing. It's, it's, it's what's going on here that makes us so exceptional. All right. Aiden Weatherall is in uh, Harare, I believe. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the phone. Uh, you are the editor of, um, the Zim Independent. Good morning to you. Good morning, Andrew. Uh, Aiden, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we are speaking about is South Africa becoming the Zimbabwe? A lot of, a lot of talk around dinner tables. Uh, I think fear is driving these discussions about whether South Africa is becoming Zimbabwe. And Aiden, I think one of the big things is a lot of South Africans don't know what happened in Zimbabwe besides the, the one or two headlines that we received during the time. Take us through the, the 1990s in Zim. What, where do you think things started to, to either go right or go wrong for Zimbabwe as a nation? Okay, Andrew. Um, I remember when Mandela came up here in the first year of his presidency in 94, I think that was. Um, and we were all very hopeful that his uh, appointment and his visit here marked a new era. Um, we were very hopeful that um, Mandela would initiate um, a constitutional government, one which was broadly based, um, one which was well-framed and was inclusive of all elements. Um, we were to be disappointed because not only did... Uh, Mandela find himself thwarted in terms of his foreign policy, um, particularly in the Congress. Um, but at the same time, we we had here at home uh, um, an, an undermining, really, of the of the democratic values that we had so much hoped would come would come into force. I didn't. You know, a lot of people go, when, when are the signs? Uh, Rory here just said, you're, we're like that frog in, in hot water boiling slowly and you don't really realize the moment that it's all, it's all gone wrong until it's too late. Was there a moment for you specifically where you thought, Sherbert, we're in, we're actually in big trouble here? Well, <laughs> let me just give you a very recent, um, um, interesting point. Um, was that um, I saw a photograph in the government-controlled Herald newspaper of president uh, um, of the president of uh, Equatorial Guinea. Um, there he was standing alongside Mugabe. I'm not sure if they were holding hands, but they were very close. Um, and that's the way we're going. Equatorial Guinea, uh, <laughs> not particularly hopeful for those of us in the in the civic centre. And let me just just add to that, if we're talking about the civic community, the way in which Mugabe um, really didn't subscribe to that concept of the civic community. He wanted to claw back his authority in the region um, and to make, and to put it straight, that he he was in charge, that Sagek was his instrument um, uh, and of course, that that was profoundly destabilizing. Um, and Mandela didn't want that. And civil society in in Zimbabwe didn't want that. In the same way that uh, that uh, Mandela was struggling um, 
to establish his authority. And, uh, and that's the direction things took very quickly after, after I think it was, was it 19, uh, 1995, I'm not sure. Um, but that, that's, that's where things began to go wrong for us in the media. And uh, it, that was um, epitomized by certain things, um, such as the attack on gay people. Um, the the instruments um, of a of a of a what shall I say of a um, strong uh, state a strong state that uses the instruments of power in order to stay in power. And I this is where things were going. So, Aiden, uh, just just give us a, a, an idea of uh, of the general uh, atmosphere at the time in Zimbabwe. Uh, do you think that ordinary Zimbabweans were expecting uh, what happened to happen, uh, or were they just getting on with their days? And then all of a sudden, um, the, the the ground was 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 sh- the ground shifted. The ground did shift, um, but. Um at the same time, um, um, the Mugabe regime was introducing us to his new one authority. Um, uh, that, that, uh, ask the question again, and um, I will um, add to that, Andrew. You're saying ask the question again? Andrew? So, so, so we're asking, so, yes, uh, so, so we're asking, is, were ordinary Zimbabweans, did they see this coming, or did this, or, or did this come as a shock to Zimbabweans when this eventually happened? No, no, it's not altogether a shock. Um, there are shocks. There are a series of minor shocks along the line, um, whereby, as I said, um, Mugabe is able to exercise authority and to, and to power up his regime. Um, having said that, um, things are a little more relaxed now, following the, uh, following the, the constitutional referendum and and um, other measures. Um, so, so, so there is scope for flexibility, and civil society is is testing it muscle on the outskirts of political society. Um, so it, 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 it's... It, and regarding um, your, your other question, um, I think Bobbins, you know, um, are quite philosophical. The, 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 old, the old man will be there, whether they like it or not, um, until his demise. Um, and also, there's a sense in which people want to get on with their lives. They want to see improvements, even if they're minor and incremental. They still want to see those improvements. Mm. So there is pressure on the regime um, to do better. It could do better and is told by Zimbabweans to do better. Um, and as I say, the emphasis now is on, is on incremental increases gradual increases, um, more constitutionalism, but not of the sort that you see in South Africa, where 
where we have admired the changes so much, but also, I think, some disappointment. Aiden, if I had to ask you in your personal capacity, what was the moment that you thought, here, here it is all going wrong? Was it... You know, the, the massacre at Matabela land, was it the hyperinflation? Was it the land grab? Was it the embargoing of the international community? What was the moment where you were like, right, we're in for a big ride here? Was it the silencing of the, the journalistic community? There, there are, as you suggest, several points of departure. We can't do them all this morning, um, but they are there and they are happening. Um, I must say, um, I, I tend to regard the assault on gay society as, as uh, indicative of a, of a more rigorous and a more severe uh, society which Mugabe was creating. Um, uh, that that the, the way in which women were told to get back into their place um, and that this, that this is what happens when you allow w- women to take uh, play advantage of openings, um, enabling them to to not simply to to um, enjoy more authority, but um, that, that that those elements that were trying to create. Uh, for civil society and for minorities um, were, were being, in a sense, bashed over their heads and told to get back into order. So, in, in 1996, we had to we had to um, suffer the ambitions of of, of, the, of the dictator. Um, uh, but but look, as I said, there are there is scope for. Um, for civil society to build um, following the constitutional referendum that they can now do things they never could. So, so it's not the end of the world. Um, there is a measure of flexibility. And it'll be I interesting don't. over the next 18 months to see how that goes. Yeah, so, so just, just two questions before before we let you go, Aiden. So you are living in Zimbabwe. Yeah. You're a white. You're a white Zimbabwean. Um, how has it been yeah. as a white Zimbabwean? Do you feel that you are in 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 a in a in a, in a underprivileged or in a threatened position? Um, you 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 you're obviously not just a white Zimbabwean. You're an editor of a, a a newspaper that might be regarded as 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 very independent and at times critical of government. Um, uh, do you feel yeah. that threat? And and do you feel that there is space for white uh, people in Zimbabwe? Well, I, I, I correct people when they talk about me um, having this um, this position. Um, I I am a white Zimbabwean, but I see myself first and foremost as a Zimbabwean, um, and um, I, I, I say to people that the, that, that there is a life for for white Zimbabweans, and that they should take certain measures that will improve both their uh, social standing and, and uh, at the same time, um, their political ambitions. What measures? I don't. What measures would those be? So, so what's the role that white Zimbabweans can play um, in 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 
crafting or, 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 or shaping a new role and position for themselves within the Zimbabwe that seemed at some stage to suggest that white people were not welcome? Um, well, some white people um, were not welcome. Um, there was no wholesale pogrom of whites. Um, that never happened. Uh, Zimbabweans liked having whites in their midst um, and were prepared to take advantage of it to improve the situation generally uh, in Zimbabwe. Um, so, you know, let's not set up little enclaves. Um, sorry about that background voice. <laughs> um, but but um, it was possible. They, they, they needed to show that they were participating in Zimbabwean society at the same time as being, uh, as being victims of Mugabe's mm. land depredations. So they didn't, uh, you, you, you're essentially saying that they didn't uh, exclude themselves, they, they, they integrated themselves into society, um, in, into the Zimbabwean generally society. Speaking, Andrew, mm. um, generally speaking, Zimbabweans were happy to be integrated and to work with each other to improve the lot mm. of, of ordinary Zimbabweans. Um, and that's the situation that you have now, except that now... Um, white Zimbabweans um, are playing a much more active role. And it's just the, the, the memory of the farm invasion. Mm. Um, it's something in everybody's mind still. And we, we must never forget that because it was a, a terrible uh, period in terms of, of people. Yeah. I don't, I don't, just uh, one, yeah. one last question, uh, before we let you go. Um, so yeah. given all of, all that you've experienced in Zimbabwe, having the, 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 um, on the ground, coal face, uh, experience of what happened in Zimbabwe, how can you, how, how do you honestly answer the question, is South Africa becoming Zimbabwe? Um, I think, not to look for simplistic solutions. Um, but there, there is in, in South Africa, I noticed, um, uh, a great deal of political activity which is directed against the ANC regime. Um, well, that needs to be kept up and it, it needs to be sustained. And uh, those of us in the media who are prepared to do so will, will, will want to see those ambitions sustained, inaugurated, sustained, motivated, and uh, kept going, kept going as much as possible. Aiden Weatherell, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Harare today, talking about is South Africa becoming a Zimbabwe? Uh, we really appreciate your time. Okay, okay. That was Aiden Weatherall. He is the editor of the Zim Independent. Wow, he sounds like he's been through a lot at one. Well, he's been arrested. Um, you know, it, it's, oh, wow. but, but one of the things that he says is, I think is important is that Zimbabweans didn't really see it coming. You know, it was these small things that were being done and then eventually, the next thing they knew, it had, it, the, the, the situation had, it had escalated, you know, mm. so, so, that for me says that we we are just as vulnerable to become because what what happens in South Africa when something happens we go and we attack each other on Twitter 
some defending some of the things that government does some of some of us uh, not um and 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 we and we lose sight of what the real issues are uh moving further than that he speaks about the role that white people played in Zimbabwe and are playing in Zimbabwe and saying they're not setting up enclaves, uh, a separate enclave and excluding themselves from general society, but are part of it. And he says it wasn't all white people. It was some white people that were not welcome in Zimbabwe. So, so very interesting insights, I think, because the general sentiment was always how he wanted white people out. And, and Aiden, who's a white Zimbabwean, is saying, no, that wasn't the case. Listen, it, you know, just from personal observations, what I've seen from from some white Zimbabweans, and not all, there is a, hu- a huge amount of racism in uh, in Zim. Uh, it's uh, it's it's nuts. It's it's another level stuff. The overt racism that we see in South Africa. Yeah. For me, I've seen a lot of that come from from white Zimbabwe. And as I say, not all of them, but some of them specifically after the two thousands. The other interesting thing is that when you talk about white Zimbabweans. Uh, I spoke to a journalist uh, two days ago and she said if there are 20,000 whites left in Zim, she would be surprised. Wow. So, so, so what's the, the question is, did they leave because, um, because of the economic situation or did they leave because they were kicked out? Recall that there was a moment uh, for, for a lot of white Zimbabweans, they, they had dual citizenship as well. Um, they had a British passport and a Zimbabwean passport. And in the early 2000s, uh, Robert Mugabe made a statement where he said, if you want to be Zimbabwean, fine, be Zimbabwean, but then give up your citizenship to uh, the UK. Otherwise, you will need to give up your Zimbabwean citizenship. Hmm. Uh, you know, what kind of a choice would you, wh- what would you give up, Rory? Given the hyperinflation at the time, yeah, it, it almost it almost kind of made it uh, automatic. We actually we have we've had a show on this uh, on whether you'd give up your South African your, your South African uh, passport. Uh, but at this stage, I think it's it's worthwhile just to 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 just face some questions that we might not naturally just think about. You know, when we think about this this topic, is South Africa becoming in Zimbabwe? And there's this great blog called Joe Pro Blog. Um, that, 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 that's online. You can just go to it, joeproblog.com. Um, and they, they, they like to write about counterintuitive things that are fact-based. It's a group of three, uh, chartered accountants. So they like to bring in numbers and facts to, to, to justify, uh, uh, what they're talking about. Um, and we've got, we've got one of them in studio to just help us present maybe three counterintuitive thinking or questions that we need to just ask ourselves as we deal with this question is south africa becoming in zimbabwe and maybe they might give it they might shed some light on whether this is indeed true whether we are becoming a zimbabwe uh matt centric uh from joe pro blog hello matt centric matt centric yeah so um we blog uh, using our pseudonyms um so mine goes as the Matt centric we have one called the kraken and then we have one called the night watchman Matt Centric. Why do you have to use pseudonyms? Um, it was just a fun idea when we started the blog that, hey, since we're starting a blog, let's, you know, um, it'll be actually nice to just, you know, have pseudonyms to have sort of like a, an extra, uh, a different personality. Are you was, an IT geek or something? Not at all. Matt Centric. CAs, man. You know, you know how they talk about what, you know, like, Oh no, my name's Peter. And you're like, no, but what is your real name? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Specifically to black South Africans, what's your real name? Yes. 
What is your real name, Matt? <laughs> oh well, the, whole, the entire the reason we have uh, um, pseudonyms that you don't know my real name. Ah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. Really appreciate that. Which, mean, wow. which means you will say whatever's on your mind and you won't hide it out of worry that people know who you are. Well, that's another thing, though. Like, I mean, you could actually get sued for, you know, defaming somebody or not, not right, not, not writing factual things, you mm. know, even if it's in a blog. Mm. So, um, as much as we use pseudonyms, we still do know that, you know, we are accountable for what we write on the blog. Mm. So if somebody wanted to really know who we are, they can easily do that. So Matt centric, Joe pro blog, three counterintuitive questions we need to ask ourselves as we tackle this question. Yes. All right. I think, um, the first one I'll, I'll start with, um, was the, Oh, sorry. Let me just speak mm. a little bit closer into your mm. mic. Mm. <laughs> mm. I'm starting to kiss it. I wasn't sure if how close I need to get into, <laughs> into it. Um, the first one um, that we thought of as we were sort of, you know, just looking, preparing for, for this topic and mm. just thinking about it was the Arab Springs. Um, you know, the, the Arab Spring was like, it, start, it started as like a, a thing. It was sort of small, but I mean, it was a, a peaceful well, some of it was was people. Some some of it was a bit violent, like the protests. But they they actually grew up into be a, like a big thing. I mean, they toppled four governments, mm. you know. So, I mean, you look at some something like the EFF, and I mean, they they the one guys where or the one group where you you can sort of closely feel that they are sort of you know making South Africa like the next Zimbabwe almost, you know. Mm. So, I mean, you you might think that well. What kind of impact would that have? But if you look at something like, you know, like your, you know, the Arab Springs or the Arab Winters, cause, you know, it went on for so long and the kind of impact that it had where it wasn't just, you know, one country, but then it's like, you know, different countries around where four governments were thrown over. It starts making you think that, well, the impact of, you know, that could be big, you know, like mm. it actually could, South Africa could go, Sort of like you know so, that kind of. So are you saying that we could catch the Zimbabwean flu? We definitely, we definitely could. Mm. We definitely could. Um, and you're and you're accusing you're accusing the EFF to be that virus that's carrying this flu that could make it happen. Um, I'm saying the EFF is an example of how this of 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 of, of how it could happen. I mean, mm. our, I'm saying EFF because they they like sort of vocal on. How, you know, like with the land grabs or like the land distribution happens, mm, mm. but I'm using something where it has happened where, mm. you know, people just sort of march in and like, you know, and then the whole thing starts, mm. you know. But the question is that in Zimbabwe, the government, this was government sponsored. Yes. In this instance, EFF is not in government. So do you think they're a real threat at all? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, um, you've mentioned now earlier about like the power of, um, of what do you call this um of of internet of social media um, like last year last year was really like a big one i mean um, last year we're talking about you know the fees must fall i mean that's like almost like the year of the student mm. but then if you take it to now um like even the beginning of this year looking at how many people got fired over racism over you know you start to sort of like seeing how much um social media is so powerful in mobilizing these things so now you have you have like you know your eff that does this um like they they have this kind of um Idea, but then you also have people and social media that sort of like moves moves this force, and it can easily catapult into something big. Okay, so that that's stat number one is the EFF you think could take us to a zoom. Uh, give us stat number two. What what is your what is your thought in terms of Joe Pro blogging here? 
Oh, okay, cool. So, um, the second one, um, the second one that we, we had was, um, the power of our constitution should like really protect the people. So given, um, our history, it would make sense for land to be allocated to those who previously suffered without disturbing the balance we have today, right? So it seems like a, but like that seemed like an impossible task. So, um, I think what we, what, 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 what we're getting at here is that it's, um, when, when you start thinking that how easily can like a constitution be toppled over? Because we, you know, we'd like to think that things that we have structures that can't easily sort of fall over. But we and and we saying that the constitution is for the people, but does it really protect the people? And how easily can that fall over? You know, and that, that that's the one part where we say, well, as much as it does protect the people, like does it and would it? Can it really stand with um sort of like this idea of what we want the people to have? Mm. So, so you're speaking about the constitution. Zimbabwe had a, a constitution at the time. It didn't seem to 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 protect Zimbabweans. So, do you think our constitution could protect us, and why? Um, the way that the constitution is written definitely does protect us. But then, uh, I think that, especially seeing almost like the restless restlessness that is slowly brewing from from um the people of South Africa it starts being that but as much as like this protects us but is it really for us is it aggressive enough to be for us mm. so the yes the constitution is written you know t- to protect us to be for us but like we don't have the stuff that we want protected to be protected from mm. you know like it's like what are you protecting if we don't have what um, like you you're trying to protect me from kind of thing but if, if if you consider it so so we have the constitution does that mean that we're not going to become a zimbabwe or are you saying people's discontent with the constitution as it is is definitely going to lead us to becoming a zimbabwe because it wasn't the people ultimately that undermined the zimbabwean constitution it was the mm. government uh, you've got the anc in parliament it doesn't quite have a two-thirds majority but with the support of a few other parties it could get to two-thirds majority uh, what's the likelihood that, uh, and if the people are that discontented, um, they've got those those political representatives who can make those changes. We've heard of uh, Jacob Zuma making intimations, for example, about this constitution um, and essentially saying it's holding us back. Bambezela. So the question is, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was, but he sang it. Remember, <laughs> he wasn't speaking about the constitution. I hope, but but. But to what extent uh, do you think that the, 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 this discontent is going to flow into Parliament and result in actual changes to the Constitution? Or do we, does that even need to happen for us to become Zimbabwe? So um, I think the one thing that we, like we saw, what we've been realizing as, as South Africa, like, you know, with our 22 years odd, is that um, over... Over the 22 years, we've, we've sort of gotten some basics out in terms of, you know, it's like, you know, your, well, and this will speak to my, my next point, you know, um, but we sort of gotten some sort of basic redistributions of, you know, trying to make right of what went wrong previously. And, um, but we're now at the point where we're like, we're not really quite moving as fast as we wanted to, you know, and that, that and that's why I'm saying we're having that kind of restlessness and, um, you know, now I'm gonna start sounding like maybe like an EFF supporter, but <laughs> no, yeah, but you know, but like what it is really is that we, we're not, it's, it's not, it's, it's not good enough. You know, it's 22 years, we still here. Mm. We still, you know, we've been promised a lot of things back in 94, whatever, but then, you know, now it's starting to be like, 
okay, but where's my money now? Where's my where, where's my land mm. now? You know, so mm. that kind of restlessness. As much as you as as much as you have like you know this whole thing of we've got structures, we are sort of moving a little bit, um, um, you know, to sort of try and um make things right. It's that um, you know, you you see it when the and and like I, I'm going back to the EFF when like it's. Not business as usual anymore. It's not, you know, it's not now good enough to say, okay, well, we'll fix it over 10 years, over 20 years. It's been 22 years. You know, so mm. that kind of stuff, it sort of starts sort of tinkering on us sort of feeling like More we could sure. have like a radical change where it, we could be like a Zimbabwe. Mm. And yes, you, you keep mentioning that the Zimbabwe was more a government one more than it was people. But I'm saying this one, our, our one, South Africa basically would probably be more from the people mm. more than it, it, it would be from government. Right. Matt Centric, the third Joe Pro counterintuitive thought you want to leave with us? And then, um, we said, well, is BE not wealth appropriation? And that's, that's the one, that's the, that, that's the last one we wanted to, to just maybe share with you is that, I mean, who really wants to own land for farming, for example, today with the cost of running, um, it at other, the, well, the cost of running it is at all, at, at its all time high. So, I mean, it happened in Egypt where people went like interested in farming. So let's not tinker with like, you know, already fragile food supply, which is what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. And we're going to definitely see all, a lot of <laughs> food supplies and costs rising up. Um, you know, because of the drought, because of the drought, mm. because of other factors, especially the, this year. So, um, so what, what what we essentially saying here is like, um, and I, I think maybe this speaks to our blog where we talk like we'd like to talk a lot about business. Is mm. that now you start having this thing, but then it's like, but what are you? What, um, what are you, what, what is it for? You know, is um, are we just doing it just to seem right? Mm. I mean, you know, people are people really interested in farming? Mm. Is it you know? Is it that you just want to do it to 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 make um, f- more farmers? You know, are like you, it's like, you, so. Are you opposed to 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 a land redistribution policy? No, no, definitely in South not. Africa. No, 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 mm-hmm. definitely not. So, what are you saying? You're saying that uh, we shouldn't tinker with it because it will lead us towards Zimbabwe. I'm 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 saying that it needs to be a little bit more thought out when mm. we're doing it. We, we call, um to do it for the sake of it and um not. Considering the unintended consequences of having land redistributed, mm. but now you start seeing that the farm, like people are not really farmers, costs are, costs are really high. It's not, you know, you know, now you not just have land for the sake of it. I mean, you know, that, that, that starts saying now, well, why, you know, like the, the thinking needs to be a bit more clever in mm. terms of why you're doing it. And the, um, an example that we have, we have now our BEE. Um, be that, that, that's been happening. Like, you know, that, that happened, but then the thinking wasn't almost like so clear because now it's just a select few. It's like, but is this really now wealth? Is it, is it really like, um, a, a something that increases the wealth? the problem. Correct. Mm. Matt, uh, just wrapping up finally, thank you for joining us. Um, and, uh, please go to their, their blog if you, if you find what Matt's saying very interesting. Joe Pro blog. Uh, so are you saying that South Africa is going to become a Zimbabwe or not? Sure. I'm an accountant. So, and I'm like all, uh, well, all three of us are accountants. So, um, when we, when we started, you know, when, when you spoke last night and said, okay, what are we saying here? And we said, well, it depends. You can't, you're <laughs> accountants. We are asking you, you what accountants opinion. do. Accountants are like this, uh, it's either depends. you have money or you don't have money. It depends. <laughs> yeah. What is your exactly. answer? What's your, what answer, is your answer, Matt? Answer? Is South Africa becoming Zimbabwe? No, it won't become, it won't become. Why? Give us the one word answer to why it won't become Zimbabwe. Um, one word. One word. Mm. 
We Shen, can... you can give him a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I can't find him a sentence. Cheech, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> um, we are, I think we, we are too solid a people to, uh, like too solid in terms of, um, that we, we, it, it, we won't just, just get toppled over as simple as that. Mm. Like it's, we really are, we've come a long way and we are actually a strong, solid people. It won't just topple over like that. Interesting. Well, uh, it's right, Matt Centric uh, from Joe Pro Blog. Thank you very much. Uh, we we like to have you guys in here just to fact check, give us some facts and figures. Appreciate you guys being here, and uh, we'll 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 definitely bring you guys back on again. Interesting. He says we're too solid a people. Uh, Zimbabweans thought they were too solid a people at some stage, Andrew. Uh, at which stage? At which stage do we realize that we're not as solid as we thought we were? Well, just keep in mind that uh, the Zim dollar in the late eighties, coming into the nineties, was stronger than the rand. Stronger than the rand. Stronger than the rand. That <laughs> huge. They were they were big. Um, Tobacco exporter yeah. to the entire world, I, and I remember I was uh, in Zim in 1989. Wow, I'm giving away my age. <laughs> I was very young, and I remember going to a tobacco auction, mm. and it was unbelievable. The trade that was going on. So you can imagine this massive warehouse mm. and huge tobacco leaves just piled up to the roof, and then there were these auctioneers who were who were basically selling to the big tobacco, world tobacco companies. We're talking Benson and Hedges, Dunhill, uh, I, don't, I don't know the rest of them, Gunston, whatever they were. Don't give them free advertising. So, not allowed to, ugh, to they're advertise. all dead anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I mean, and it was amazing to hear the, the amount of trade going, and it was, I, I just remember it so specifically in my mind, how they would sell the tobacco. It was like 1000 2000 and people were bidding on this tobacco, and it was just unbelievable to see a a incredible Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's not. It's. It, I I don't think so. I I disagree with the Joe Pro blog guys this week. I really think that we could, uh, we we could become a Zimbabwe because as as we heard earlier, uh, while they were sleeping, the world changed. You know, it it didn't. It wasn't just uh, something that gradually creeped up on them and so on. It, it, they thought they were solid at some stage, and and now look what happened. But they ask a good question: Who wants land anyway? So we're going to invade the farms, and then what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you can have that farm, Adam Bloom. I don't know what you want out there. Listen, you can hit us up on WeChat. What do you think? Is South Africa becoming a Zim? Uh, is South Africa becoming the new Zimbabwe and you can also hit us up at uh, at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore L-E-V-Y uh, we've got some WeChat messages as well uh, Andrew I'm going to butcher his surname I hate this Andrew Nyazvigo hey was that I mean he's Zimbabwean so I'm not looking to you to pronounce because you haven't got a better idea than I have he said that uh, to tell you the truth I don't see South Africa getting to the Zimbabwe situation because of its constitution comparing to, uh, compared to Zim I grew up there and I know how life was unless there is a change of policy from Mugabe nothing will change listen we're going to have Judge uh, Greenland come in in a little bit to talk about constitution and judiciary because I think that's a, that's a key point um, is is our judiciary strong enough to deal with a dictator uh, I'm not saying that Zuma is a dictator I must watch my words here but he might be going along that way I think the interesting thing though is that the, when Zim independence happened they had a very primitive constitution drawn up by the Brits after a very very hardcore war mm. 
And that's a very different stage and space to where we are in South Africa, where in 1990 we saw the release of, of Mandela. And there was a lot of discussions. I remember the Grotesque discussions with Rolf Mayer and Cyril Ramaphosa happening in the, in the early 1990s. This is before Codesa. This is before all of, of the democratic discussions happened. There was a lot of thinking around South Africa's constitution, a huge amount of intellects on both sides of the then racial coin, uh, speaking, working out, figuring out what a good, consti- a strong constitution would be like. Uh, some people now say that the constitution is wrong and why shouldn't we change it? And maybe there's some, some value in that. But that is a very big difference uh, between Zimbabwe and, of course, South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah, it's... Um you know, we, we, we look at this constitution and everybody's saying constitution, constitution. Um, I spoke to a prominent Zimbabwean as we were preparing for the show as well. And, uh, uh, she, and she, she mentioned that, uh, we're not likely to become Zimbabwe because of the strength of our institutions. So it's not just uh, Whoa, the constitution. Hold on it's a not second the, there though. It's hold social, there. social institutions, social institutions. Like which so, ones? So, so, so parliament and uh, uh, like you've a constitutional got court, the, the civil society, mokwing, mokwing. civil society. Okay. Yeah. You know, the, <laughs> all of those. So that, that 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 was the argument from their side as well is uh, we've got strong institutions but I, i'm not convinced that zimbabwe did not have those things in place uh, when things went the way they went so i'm not sure whether those institutions and and for how long because another question was for how long can they keep it up how long can they make sure that government doesn't because they need to be funded and all of that how long can they do it and is there going to come be come a stage where they don't have the resources themselves to make that happen it's a very interesting question and, and i think you know history would uh would uh talk to us about this in africa specifically we've all we've seen 20 years major menos i love using that saying in portuguese plus or minus 20 years after independence there seems to be the big change the big crack the big uh movement away from you know the the freedom fighters that fought for the independence in the first place. So we saw that in Zim. Um, we saw the the amazing freedom fighters in Zim 20 years afterwards, after a huge amount of bush wars, um, come together and, and, and the split happen. Mm. South Africa, we're starting to see the changes, um, be it, you know, the, the freedom fighters of the past who are still in control, the Zoomers of this world, who, recall, were hugely instrumental in the freedom fighting of uh, against apartheid. Mm. So the split could happen in South Africa. Yeah. History says that the split will happen in South Africa. Yeah, it's a uh, maybe uh, maybe let's let's find out from Zimbabweans, right? We've been speaking as South Africans and uh, drawing inferences. Let's let, let's find out from from Zimbabweans. We've got Joseph Busher in, in, in studio, Joseph is the group managing director of J.M. Busher, uh, investments, um, investment group, which is based in South Africa. Uh, it's got, uh, subsidiary companies in Lesotho, Namibia, South Africa, Swaziland, Zambia, and Zimbabwe. So he's you got, are just a promotion got, uh, king right now. 
<laughs> no, but uh, I'm introducing our guest, uh, you know. And uh, he also, he also, uh, apart from just being an investment specialist, uh, he runs uh, something called uh, the Free Zim Congress, and uh, we'll be keen to hear what it is. It sounds like a political party, so we'd like to hear what that is about. And uh, he's got a project that he runs called Save Zimbabwe 2018 and Beyond, a political campaign that hopes to result in change of government administration from ZANU-PF to Free Zim Congress in 2018. So essentially, we might be sitting with the next president of Zimbabwe here, Andrew. So be nice. Well, he certainly looks the part, I must say. <laughs> Beautiful tie, suit. Oh, I would trust this man for sure. I would trust this man. Good morning to you, Joseph. Oh, let, let me let me just put your mic on so that people can hear you. Let's try that again. Good morning, Joseph. Good morning, there gentlemen. Go. How are you? <laughs> good, good, good. Welcome. Joseph, is South Africa becoming Zimbabwe? No. Are well, we... thank you so much for the interview. Great. <laughs> thank well, you very nice much. You can leave that. <laughs> Why would you say that? Okay. Well, getting to where Zimbabwe is is a process, okay? And I was listening to your discussions and, and, uh, you know, some of the cases I agree with you. Uh, it's, it's, it's a process. South Africa's got institutions. But one thing I want to say, you know, leadership, real leadership, uh, basically will only emerge when it is tested. Now, the question is, have we been tested in South Africa in terms of how strong our institutions are and how strong the leadership is? Remember, Zimbabwe went through a very good period of growth um, uh, after 1980. Um, the Zimbabwean dollar uh, was certainly stronger than the pound, or at, at least at par with the pound, stronger than the American dollar and stronger than um, at the rand in 1990. So Zimbabwe was producing, Zimbabwe was sending kids to school. But what happened then over the period is that the promise of the liberation uh, struggle were not fulfilled. So come 20, uh, 2000, year 2000, uh, the war veterans said, well, listen, we haven't been benefiting as much as you have been. Now, we need what we fought for. In Zimbabwe, they fought for uh, for, for, for land, uh, they fought for economic freedom, so the land they didn't have, and hence the war veterans um, actually went to start invading or occupying the land. So it was never a government policy. It was actually led by uh, the war veterans and obviously President Gabe's government decided to take advantage of that because they were on the back foot that's what you need to understand they were on the back foot so for political expedience then they allowed the process to go through but uh, so we just had Matt Centric from Joe Pro blog here and he was saying that the EFF uh, might be that force in South Africa. So do do you think that's that's the case, that the EFF could start this process and then put government on the back foot that then forces them to go the way that the Zimbabwean government went? Uh, it, it won't be an overnight process, as I said to you. you know, South Africa has got a very diverse and possibly still strong, but we could say the same thing about Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe had a very strong um, uh, infrastructure, very strong uh, structures in 1980, and obviously they started getting worn uh, over the years in the event that obviously people will not be getting what they thought they could get, right? So the EFF certainly they talk about nationalization, but you know, this is like 
10 years, 15 years down the line. And I think things have changed. So, so we need to say, where are we in the global um, uh, economy? We're a global village. Um, so the EFT certainly is talking about that. But I think, you know, the ANC, the, the, it, we shouldn't be afraid actually of the EFF. The issue is that whether the ANC won't try and occupy the space the EFF is, is, is occupying, mm. and hence they will be contesting to say who is going to be more populist than the other. You know, Joseph, it's so interesting what you're saying right now because I think giving context to where Zimbabwe came from, uh, there, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, if we look at South Africa and the, the freedoms, uh, the freedom fighters and the promises uh, given to the South African public uh, during 1994, free housing, free education, free uh, medical um, uh, uh, Words are escaping me. Yep. Free, uh, health. Yep. <laughs> free health. Yes, exactly. There you go. Um, embarrassing us in front of the I next president. I know. Andrew. He knows who his speaker will. It's not one be. thing okay. when it's one thing when the black guy when the black guy runs oh, out of English words, but when the white so guy gonna, can't speak. Can I have English? my point, please? Okay. So apologies about that, but the point is this. There were a lot of promises made in 1994, and now a lot of the frustrations that we're seeing amongst the young people of South Africa, people who weren't even part of apartheid, going, you promised us those things. We have not seen those things. Do you not think the pressure is going to start really mounting on the ANC? You know, we've seen their stats, one million, uh, just over one million um, people who, who joined the ANC now down to 774,000 and a few more thousand and a hundred and a thousand, five hundred and a thousand. Um, and local municipal elections happening this year, if ANC lose a few big municipalities, do you not think that we could be in a space where Zuma and his government say, let's, let's tackle land. Let's, let's, you know, that's the big issue. Let's make that happen and go the exact same way Mugabe went. So certainly, I think one of the key differentiator here, as I said earlier on, that, you know, you've got civil society in, in essay. That's not just sitting on their laurels and say, well, everything is going to happen for us. So they basically fighting. You also had the FISMAS 4 that was led by the students, which I thought was very successful, um, and, and basically testing the government and the, the, the strength of the government to say how are they going to uh, provide solutions uh, to, 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 to the country. Uh, so, so we've got the elections uh, this year, uh, local government elections. I don't think that you know there's going to be massive change. Certainly they might lose um, a little bit of power in certain municipalities um, in terms of the majority, but I don't think there's going to be massive change. Also if you look in terms of obviously the ANC you still have some few elders I believe, you know, in terms of fusion uh, I believe as uh, to well grounded. We have Zola Sequia, we've got President Halima Mohlante. I, I still believe that there are a couple of guys who have got a voice of reason. So you haven't seen the crack that has happened in Zano PF because remember, uh, you know, sometimes you get, you know, a, a, a kind of a facade where people think there's unity and at some stage obviously that unit is broken, which happened in, in Zimbabwe. Uh, the split between um, um, uh, Zano PF mm. in terms of President Gabe's faction and then uh, Mrs. Mjuru's faction. Mm. So South Africa, I think this year is going to be a watershed um, year, well, the next two years at least, uh, as we run towards the next ANC, ANC Congress uh, to choose the leader for 2019. So I think this is where the test is going to be. But also, I believe right now, ANC does not have any strong opposition to threaten them. Mm. So we, we have uh, uh, our Twitter our Twitter listeners as well who, who are sending in messages. And Sandy of Jake's says, Gents, take a step back. Mm-hmm. 
what is a Zimbabwe? You know, how is a country with a unique history an adjective? This this term is used by fear mongers. You are a Zimbabwean. You yes. moved out of Zimbabwe. You live in South Africa. Uh, what is a Zimbabwe? Just give us a sense of what is this a Zimbabwe that we're talking about that South Africans are so afraid of becoming. Well, you know, as I said to you, South Africa only ever become a Zimbabwe. And, and Zimbabwe, basically, when people say a Zimbabwe, uh, you know, they're referring to the fact that Zimbabwe almost became a failed state, or it is a failed state, because it doesn't have its own currency. But I think the resilience you have seen, obviously, in Zimbabwe is that from now on, I think it can only go up. So so there was also a lot of exaggerations, obviously, in terms of the media, in terms of what could be uh, a Zimbabwe. You've got possibly 90% unemployment. I don't know whether that they mean as um, uh, a Zimbabwe, uh, but certainly you still have infrastructure. Um, uh, um, it's just that there is no liquidity in Zimbabwe to be able to push the economy uh, going forward. But I think there's a lot of exaggeration in terms of um, uh, whatever the adjective, what it is, uh, is Zimbabwe. Right. So just to bring everyone into the picture here, we're talking, is South Africa becoming Zimbabwe? We've had a number of different people from from journalists uh, speaking to us in, in Zimbabwe, in Harare. We've got Joseph Busher uh, in studio, and, I, and I'm inviting uh, Judge Chris Greenland uh, to to the mic as well, because I think the two big issues, or three maybe big issues that that people cite, is how strong is your ju- judiciary, how strong is your economy, and how is the freedom of press. So I think it's really important that we now have Joseph uh, Bushra, who's who's handling the economy, and we will discuss that a little bit more. And uh, Judge Chris Green, and welcome to the show. You you will handle the judiciary side of things for us. Um, judge, you were a judge in Zim, and now you've been a judge in South Africa. Is that correct? I was a substantive judge in Zimbabwe and an acting judge in the Eastern Cape for two years. What does a substantive judge mean? It means that I was a per- on permanent. You've got to talk into the mic, you know, because we want to hear your voice, <laughs> sir. Yeah. Can I say good morning to you, Andrew, and to the listeners? A substantive judge means that I was on, on a permanent a a per- permanent appointment with the full independence that judges enjoy. I want to ask you guys both a question before we get into your specifics of judiciary and uh, economy. One of the things that I think Zimbabwe did very well after independence was the education. Um, so the British colonial government of the time and had an amazing uh, education system. It was well implemented in Zimbabwe and Mugabe and the ZANU-PF group then took that over and didn't throw it all out and didn't go, wow, that's, you know, that's part of the oppressor. Let's just get rid of all that educational stuff. That's really good. And we see a huge amount of very, very educated people around the world who have come from Zimbabwe. South Africa seems to be battling in that sense. Do you think that that could be the problem? That, that, that could actually be the, the, <clears throat> the stick that breaks the camel's back? Well, education is one of the fundamentals for any state. And as regards Zimbabwe, you are quite right. It was an inherited system. Uh, in so much as the colonial system was racist, the education system was exceptional at any number of levels. And we must not forget the part played by the missionaries because uh, some of the greatest schools in Zimbabwe were missionary uh, set up by missionaries, including the one I went to. So when we got independence in 1980, uh, we had the best infrastructure, we had the best resources, and the best human capital. 
uh, in Africa and uh, perhaps in for most countries in the world. And you are right, the ZANU-PF government did follow through on this and, uh, and did uh, a good job about maintaining that standard. Now, uh, Judge, Judge Chris and, and to you, <coughs> Joseph, um, one of the things that you have highlighted, Joseph, uh, in, in, in the formation of the Freezem Congress is that leadership became a problem and that, and that we've lost some important leaders. So it doesn't matter how educated uh, we might be, the, the, the fabric of leadership was undermined. Uh, do you feel that, um, that that continues to exist in Zimbabwe? How did it, how did it play itself out, this, this, this loss of leadership in Zimbabwe? And how does this then relate uh, to the South African context? Do you think that South Africa has enough leaders to, to, to stave off what, the decline? I, I think South Africa needs to be able to accept diversity in leadership and leadership from civics organization, from business, and obviously churches and the political scenario. What happened in Zimbabwe is that the business leadership took themselves out of, um, uh, you know, um, um, kind of everyday activities and focus on business. And hence the politicians continued <coughs> to do what they do best and possibly um, uh, patronage. That's what they continued. And hence, it, it, when the business realize that that these guys are actually not putting policies together that could make us survive it was too late but also we had eased up the economic um, uh, structural adjustments in, um, imposed by MF and different um, uh, organizations in terms of how we restructure our economy to make sure that you know if we had the majority of the people that need to move into the health system and so on but certainly in terms of education and we all correct that education I think was quite fundamental uh, to Zimbabwe and skills training, in, t- in particular vocational training. So they did very well on that. But the leadership basically was disjoint, where business removed themselves from, from politics and wanted to just enjoy super profits. And at the same time, the politicians also uh, started delving in and getting into corruption. We had the Willow Gate scandal in, in 1987 where ministers were getting cars and people went unpunished uh, uh, through, 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 through that. Mm. So what we need to do here in South Africa is to make sure that the business leadership voices is had and must not be suppressed by obviously the, the ruling uh, party. And, and remember we had issues uh, with uh, Dr. Ro Koza uh, when he basically voices concerns um, and the response sometimes from the politicians is not that of welcoming but to say well you can't talk about this mm-hmm. so as long as there's diversity of views uh, which are respected in leadership I still believe that you know we should be able to to, to steer the country um, into prosperity judge Chris uh, so 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 Joseph says uh, Essentially, business failed Zimbabwe, and then the politicians failed Zimbabwe. Where was the judiciary to protect the people when all of this was happening? Um, Can I drill down a little deeper on that and just refine, as much as I agree with Joseph, the, the, the answer. The problem for Zimbabwe was that we secured our dependence uh, as a, in a violent process. I never supported the armed struggle because I predicted that the culture of violence would never leave the country. And regrettably, I've been proved right. And as regards leadership in Zimbabwe, the culture of violence never left that leadership. And this, of course, has a serious inhibiting 
effect on human beings as regards them contributing and as regards them participating and as regards them realizing the potential. But most importantly, and Joseph has adverted to this, I'll just expand on it. For that reason, people are never free in Zimbabwe to hold the government to account. That was a huge, huge problem, and it's one of the precipitants of failure because if a government is doing what it likes, when it likes, how it likes, uh, it will eventually fail because that is a seriously corrupting, fatally corrupting culture on the part of government. Mm. And that's exactly what happened in Zimbabwe. Judge Chris, just <coughs> so, so where was the judiciary when all of this was happening? The judiciary. Where, where were you? The judiciary to start off with, and for many years, I think until past the turn of the century, and, and, and Zimbabwe got independence in 1980, was kept independent. Uh, Robert Mugabe uh, had a fantastic start uh, to nation building. For instance, he, uh, as, as, uh, as an example, our first army commander was General Peter Walls, who had been army commander of the enemy of the Ian Smith oppressive oppression and that's the culture of inclusiveness that Robert Mugabe had and so the judiciary also and this is one of the reasons why I was talked into becoming a judge he made it clear to me that it was very important that people could identify with and have an empathy for the justice system and it was therefore important that the judges were seen to be demograph demographically representative of the people. So for many, many years, <coughs> decades, the judiciary was respected. The rule of law was respected. Unlike South Africa, for instance, it was very rare for the executive and for the president to be uh, a judge to be foul of the constitution and of the law. Uh, that was the situation. What uh, Robert Mugabe did, a judge, and this happened to me, I'd sentence somebody to death for cold-blooded execution of another human being. If that person was a Zanupef acolyte, uh, a colleague of Robert Mugabe, he would simply pardon uh, the culprit. Two days later, he was entitled to under the Constitution. We might not have liked it, but it was not unconstitutional. But here in South Africa, we have seen a pattern of the executive uh, being adjudged to be in breach of the Constitution and the laws on any number of occasions. So I would say until Mugabe <coughs> uh, reached his moment of madness uh, after the precipitant that Joseph has uh, referred to with uh, Warwitz, uh, he respected the constitution and respected the rule of law. You know, it's interesting <coughs> because uh, I think in hearing this conversation, I came into this conversation being very, very uh, opposing of the idea that South Africa would ever become a Zimbabwe. And maybe it's because I'm ignorant. Um, but it was because of the freedom of press. And of course, we've had some issues with that with the um, right to know campaign. And our constitutional courts and our constitution that we have 10 of the best minds in South Africa sitting on a very, very high court um, <clears throat> who can preside over matters of the constitution, which is fantastic. But listening to both of you, 
in the last uh, five minutes, I've definitely got a little bit of shiver of concern. I mean, violent history. South Africa has a hugely violent history, not only in our colonial um, changeover, um, but before that as well. We saw lots of tribal wars in South Africa. Then we saw apartheid, which was incredibly violent. So we've had a huge violent history. Um, Mandela tried to to change a lot of that by by being instrumental in implementing a no gun or free gun zone. I don't know how well that worked, but we come from a very violent past. Joseph, to your point, you were talking about business opting out. I mean, the amount of business opting out at the moment is quite significant, not only in business, but also where are the business people going? They're opting out of education. They go to private schools. They're opting out of medical and health. They go to private medical institutions. Uh, they're opting out of, of security. They don't go to the police. They go to their private security firms. So, that is a huge worrying sign for me. But that they're also keeping quiet as well. Yep. So, so, so a lot mm. of them, when things do go wrong, are keeping quiet. So they are opting out of their civic responsibility to to hold government to account and to speak out more loudly. I mean, you had Sim Shabalala of Standard Bank uh, writing a great letter. The question was, when else does do we need a Chris Hart to happen? Before we write letters, there were there were instances that one might argue were a lot more graver in the mm. history of our country. That That's is a very required good point. letters, but now it's Chris Hart. It's easy, yeah. you know. But when when government has done things that required that type of letter, there's been dead silence. Where was Sims' letter? Where was Stephen Kosov's letter? Where yeah. was Michael Jordan's letter when Nkandla was going down? Exactly. We've got another guy who's raring to go, Mr. Jamie Mighty. What a cool surname, just by the way. Jamie Mighty joins us in the studio as well to to finish up the three-man panel here. And I must uh, – we haven't heard a woman's voice in this in this discussion, and I must apologize for that. Nah, uh, it's, it's, no, so don't say nah. It's important no, to have but both we reached, genders. No, we reached here. out to women. And they weren't available. I so see, okay. so it's not like we it's not as if we, we, we specifically made it that we just want to hear the voices of men on this. Uh but we believe that the men here are are, are solid. They they will make sure that they represent views that, that both genders. Yes. Jimmy Matt. So um I think the first thing to think about is the rhetoric that is becoming appealing in South Africa. So Julius Malema and the nationalization and let's do Zimbabwe rhetoric is actually quite popular amongst the youth. So the the DA narrative and the ANC narrative are getting a bit stagnant. What we actually saw with the last election is that the ANC tried to show that they too were kind of pro-nationalization, more aggressive. You know, I think they bought a large swath of land. I think it was a park or some some kind of farm that 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 they bought over and tried to redistribute to the people just prior to the previous elections. And what's alarming, and this is where the question is, are we going to see a, 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 another Zimbabwe here, is if the rhetoric begins to permeate further and further, because now even the Lindiwe Mazibugos had to take a harder line with affirmative action than what you saw prior in, in the old DA. So there's a, there's a call for radicalism, you know, fees must fall, decolonize universities and take back the land. And what what's troubling about all of that is, how uniquely underprepared the black community is in South Africa to take over structures. So if you get what Julius Malema wants and you take back the banks, obviously people exit with their U.S. dollars. They exit um, with their degrees that they've already got and they go to markets where there's still a demand for this. But what you begin to then see is a bigger hole than we saw in Zimbabwe because when the farmers left and when the high-skilled labor left, because late 90s, people who had degrees just started going to the U.K., 
And people who have degrees now, you know, the masters in engineering, they can go wherever because those skills are in high demand all over the world. But in South Africa, you've got 15% of the, uni- of the, of the people who go to university graduate <clears throat> ever, right? And most of the 15% is a predominantly white population. And a predominantly white population can externalize their resources and funds and themselves way quicker. So the concern then becomes what happens if you have enough crossover of the 5 million whites and the several million Indians who also have externalized funds, mm-hmm. you know? And then you don't have a unique a, a skills base, to sustain the economy moving forward. That's the worry. Yeah, so J- Joseph, you hold a BSc in mathematics, a BSc honors in applied mathematics, an MSc in derivatives, an MPhil. So you're one of those skills that... Uh, that Can top you just relax? Not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're making us all feel very bad in here. And you're not white. Uh, that, that, that's the other thing, right? So so I'm, I'm very interested to, to find out you not being white, you still left. And you're in the investment community in South Africa. To what extent is this externalizing of funds happening? You 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 obviously deal with people's funds. Uh, how big is it happening? Because it is happening. People, South Africans have started moving their money out of the country. How bad is it? Well, certainly, I think you can't quantify this. And I think we also don't need to generalize. We need to have the correct stats uh, to make sure that, you know, we factual in our discussions and, and listeners get uh, as close as possible to, to facts. Um, so so uh, we had some few companies that basically sought their uh, um, uh, primary listing offshore, uh, which was basically stopped uh, after a while when companies were, t- uh, you know, taking their listing uh, or head offices to London and so on. And that had an effect on the rand because when you pay dividends, um, certainly there will be selling of the rand and hence they did pressure on the rand. We also have 40% of um, our some of our securities, or fixed income securities, say in particular, uh, which are owned by foreign pension funds. So that has got an effect on the rent. Year to date is about 15 billion. Just just this January, uh, that has been sold in our uh, financial um, instruments. But it's a result because South Africa has got um, uh, a very relaxed uh, foreign exchange uh, regime policy. Um, we basically are a very well developed uh, financial market uh, system. The JSC is very liquid. So certainly you're going to get that. But that is what we call hot money, uh, which is not really FDI, and people just want to to invest for for quick money. Um, uh, we also have, you know, individuals being allowed about one million <coughs> rand um, uh, travel allowance uh, per year to take off you. So certainly those people who have got one million rand um, have been or can take it out, but you can't really quantify what that is. Mm. But, you know, the companies also, we talk about Sasso, uh, Old Mitchell, that sort of primary listing uh, uh, offshore, um, that process was halted. So so there is that. But I, I think the key issue really is about the skills, if I can go back to the skill set. So, so certainly Zimbabwe invests hugely on skills. And what I don't like about the young people today is that they are not patient to learn and acquire skills. They want instant just, gratification. When you say young people, you're talking in South Africa or Zimbabwe or just generally? Well, I, I think in South Africa, actually, they, 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 they're not generally. I, I think in Zimbabwe, some of the young people are more interested to, to, to graft, uh, to learn some 
some skills and grow up, uh, you know, higher the, 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 the corporate ladders. I think in South Africa, there's too much quick, um, you know, requirement for, 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 uh, for material goods. That is just like now. Mm-hmm. And I think government needs to change that. We need to make sure that the skills are developed uh, and young people also need to understand that, you know, you, you, you don't replace skills. You know, you acquire that over time. We're speaking about is is South Africa turning into Zimbabwe some of the brightest minds? <clears throat> I must say I'm, I'm very impressed with all three of you. Different age groups, different backgrounds, um, different industries, but fantastic uh, conversation. Join in here at Rory Shabalala or at Yebo underscore Levy. Or you can give us a call 0861-555-189. Is South Africa becoming Zimbabwe? Judge, I wanted to pose a question to you. We saw um, with uh, Morgan Tsangarai the whole movement that he came from unions and he was a union leader. He became a political party leader and was a huge opposition at one point, sharing government and so on. And seems to have not not become of anything in the, in the last little while. We, we have now with uh, Kasatu, Numsa breaking away, Irvin Jim, there's, there's talks of uh, our friend Zuelanzi Mavavi, who is a huge union leader, becoming the head of that, that political party as well. Oh, is history just not repeating itself in a different way? Well, as regards Morgan Spangirai... J- Judge, you've got to come into the mic. Okay. There as you go. As regards <laughs> Morgan Spangirai, it was inevitable with the decline uh, of the socio-economic position in, in, and the frustration on the part of the people in Zimbabwe. And it was inevitable, it was necessary, and it was a wonderful moment that then became missed with complicity on the part of South Africa via Pre- President Thabo Mbeki, who then marched over to Zimbabwe and using something called quiet diplomacy made sure that the ZANU-PF party that the people had voted out remained in power. So, uh, since then, Zimbabwean people are, in fact, in a state of demoralization. It's equivalent to the Stockholm Syndrome. They've had ZANU-PF for 35 years. They tried to vote them out. They failed. South Africa, powerful South African neighbor, uh, uh, contributed to that failure, if not actually caused it. Mm. So now for them, ZANU-PF is a part of life, like breathing, like eating, and they are stuck with it. That guaranteed the demise of Morgan Swangirai and MDC. So, uh, Joseph, you you have set up an opposition <coughs> party as well called Free Zim Congress, uh, and you are hoping to become the next president of Zimbabwe. Uh, what makes you think that you will not uh, f- follow a similar fate to what Morgan Swangirai uh, followed? He was certainly uh, criticized of uh, running uh, for office from plushy offices in Santon. Uh, could you be accused of the same? How, how do you then change the situation uh, hearing how the, the odds, I mean, they had, Morgan Swangarai had a whole country, a neighboring country uh, against him. How do you overcome those odds? One of the key issues is really that we must be able to learn from history. Okay. 
And secondly, being a union leader does not mean that you're going to be a national leader. Running a union is different from running a country. And there are also different leadership qualities. We need to be able to make sure that, you know, the people who are going to come, in particular in Africa, um, must be able to possess. Uh, you know, they must be able to unify people. That's the first thing. You must be able to accept diversity. That's the other thing. You must also be able to understand and appreciate the history, but represent the future. So the future, the understanding of the current <coughs> status is quite important. So, and also, you need to be able to say, how do you infuse that with your own culture way of life because if you detach yourself from those issues basically you won't be able to to, to progress I don't want to talk about MDC but I think if you look at it uh, you know Ms. Frank have failed to unify MDC you've got now about six factions or five factions of MDC so you need to say you know whatever brought you together uh, what happened to it and, and I think once you form a party on the basis of hatred rather than to solve uh, provide solutions it's bound that that you know you won't be able to go uh, to to go very far. Mm. So, no. mm. so so I just want to understand in the South African context you've got all of these opposition parties. Do you think they're going in the way of the MDC and are are, are threatening to become irrelevant? Uh, 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 Jamie and, and and Joseph. Well, certainly I think it's possible. I, I think if you look at terms of COP, COP is right now irrelevant. Okay, and we talked about basically that would Kosato or part of Kosato form a party that happened in Zambia. Remember, uh, Mr. Chiluba, uh, you know the late uh, President Chiluba uh, came from um, uh, the union background. He came in there uh, again. He went through the same route of uh, accused of corruption and so on, and he was taken out only when eight of his ministers opposed his third term. Okay, so you have to say from from the leadership perspective, do you have strong <coughs> leadership? Uh, uh, you know, collectively that can challenge um, ex- executives. Mm. So 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 if you do not have that, if you've got Collusion, and if you've got patronage, that becomes a system on its own. You then need massive um, uh, individuals that can stand up to say, "Well, we can't do this for the good of the country." So, so I think what we're lacking really um, in Africa is to say, "How do we manage and govern?" based obviously on our way of life and secondly by respecting basically uh, uh, human rights uh, you know we need caring responsive governments and what we have seen also in South Africa basically after the student must fall is the fact that the government became stagnant and were not responsive to the growing number of children who are being excluded or who needs education and secondly who needs to find a job after the education Jamie so what I think is I'm going to make a prediction here if Vavi and Julius Malema come together, they will probably be able to topple the ANC. Because what I think is Julius Malema doesn't have credibility with the older voters. They still view him as a little boy. The cultural um, uh, uh, conditions mm-hmm. the cultural conditions are such that somebody who's an umundom dala, you know, somebody older, is not going to gravitate towards Julius Malema. He's still a young guy. He's 33, 34 and he's not likely to convince a 60-year-old man to go with him, except out of desperation. However, Vavi has the gravitas and he has the community of workers who view him as a man of integrity. I mean, scandals aside, Vavi is by and large a respected um Union worker. So I think what happens in, 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 in South Africa, which is slightly different uh, from the Zimbabwean example, is that you have first the COPE uh, failure, right? And I think that's like more like a case study. I think everybody is using COPE now as a case study of 
<laughs> how not to break uh, away from the ANC. I mean, there was PAC first and then there was COPE. I think you've got those two big failures and people have learned because there's still a PAC, but it's no longer a robust structure as well. But I think ideologically, they were clearly different from uh, the ANC. However, COPE ideologically, it, it, it was a struggle to figure out what they stood for for the first three months because they wouldn't I- identify what their position was, except that they had a divorce letter with the ANC. However, fr- from the jump, what the EFF was able to do is is they 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 preempted the union breakaway from the state and what they did is they came in and they went back to the freedom charter and they made that um th- their mandate and political identity however the important thing to realize is that Julius Malema is good at organizing the branches of the ANC youth league that he liked remain robust and the ANC grew to be the biggest in in his ward actually you know that was what the biggest ward of the ANC at, at, at for for quite a while and what it tells you is that Julius can get 50,000 people to show up and walk to Santon. And he can get them to walk 30Ks or however many it was, uh, 2008 or 9. Um, so he's he's an organizer. And that's what makes him different from Shiloa and the other guys, that they didn't have that kind of traction on the streets that they could sustain. But Julius can sustain traction. Now, if Julius and Vavi can come together, because you've got different elements of organizing, they can organize the workers, he can organize the youth. I don't think you can... Uh, un- and um what untopple the ANC unless you have both fronts, you know? Um but I think one or the other will falter without a union. So it's interesting. I suppose that shows us a, a strong political uh opposition which is which is important to keeping South Africa in line. I should have asked this question a long time ago. Judge, you want to add something? Yes, please. <clears throat> uh, as I said I want to drill down and I'm concerned with the foundational factors of this house that is now the nation. And a point of concern here about executive responsibility, there is a similarity or parallel uh, in that as regards Zimbabwe, there was always a culture of not holding the main man, the leader, the prime minister, the president accountable yep. on <clears> the <throat> part of his executive team. Uh, to uh, Adding to the fact that them as a party... As, as executive uh, leadership of the country were not held accountable by the people. Uh, in South Africa, what is very concerning is that we're seeing signs of that, in fact, more than, uh, more than signs of that, starting from the Mbeki era where uh, President Tabu Mbeki's protection of Jackie Salibi mm. was never questioned by his leadership team, uh, gravitating towards the the fiasco as regards and the contempt that uh, the public protector's report was treated and then culminating in a, a, a repudiation of the con- constitution and our laws as regards the Omar al-Bashir matter. In all these instances, we see a decided um, lack of enthusiasm on the part of, silence. of the cabinet, a deafening silence on the part of cabinet. And, and, and recently, as regards the fiasco involving uh, the dumping of our Minister of Finance, again, we see very educated, very good people, uh, docile and supine and, and, and acting out a deafening silence. Hmm. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I should have asked this question a long time ago, Rory, but I'm really interested to understand why the three of you uh, left Zimbabwe. 
for obviously different reasons, but I'd, I'd love just just a small if you if you're willing to say yes. why you left Zimbabwe, it would be very interesting to hear, and and also what was the moment. Because I always, I'm fascinated by it. What was that moment where you were sitting either at home with your family or maybe you were just by yourself? You're a very young man there, Jamie. Um, but you were sitting by yourself and, uh, or with your family and going, it's time to go. It's, mm. it's, it's actually, we're going to pack up our stuff and we're going to leave the country that we were born in. And I think ju- just to add to that, the, the important thing is that these are three generation of Zimbabwean men. That we have in studio. Could we just get a sense of age, age, age groups? Uh, judge, how old are you? I'm in retirement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Joseph, <laughs> happy well, retirement. Joseph is 52. Jamie, I'm 28. You're 28. So <coughs> 28, 52, and retirement, yeah. um, and all decided. So you essentially had a hollowing out. Zimbabweans look good gen- for the age. Man. Wow. <laughs> a generational hollowing out um, of of some of the brightest and best. Uh, of Zimbabwe So I think it's a relevant question Andrew Why did you as individuals leave Particularly when you are saying that There, there was also a deafening silence uh, Joseph and certainly Judge uh, Greenland You had a voice in Zimbabwe You were amongst those that could say something yeah. You left, why? Yeah, Unlike South Africa In Zimbabwe There was no culture of exclusion In South Africa Just to simplify it We have the 10 or so indigenous African tribes now amalgamated under a black flag. They call themselves black. Mm. To my mind, it's a form of gangsterism. That immediately puts the other groups, and I'm part of the other groups, uh, as the others. It excludes us by, by definition and organically. So South Africa is a very, very divided nation, yes. and we see the manifestations of that daily. All these racial spats and all that are guaranteed by that division that, that we have as our social justice model. That was not the situation in Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, not for a moment uh, did I ever feel excluded. In fact, the issue of race and ethnicity became irrelevant. I... <laughs> that is... That is, right, that, that is one of them. That's someone putting to of say, of listen, there's a problem here. <laughs> you should not be saying that. <laughs> one, of the judges, one of the judges' friends is, is, is calling. Is listening. Just, uh, yeah. is listening. And, you know, and you know what happens when you have to switch the phone off? It doesn't. It doesn't. Does well. well. you know, judge, let me help <laughs> you out there. You see, get, get the and younger Zimbabweans <laughs> to help you out here. And yes, in fact, yes. I completely forgot that I was a colored in Zimbabwe. And mm. that was the situation. We were one nation. We were one people. There was none of these racial spats that we had. Uh, why did I leave? This is very, very interesting. You must understand, for, firstly, just to preface this, that when I left Zimbabwe in 1991, all the fundamentals, that is health, education, energy, etc., were still in the fine. Intact. They were intact. Unlike South Africa, where all those fundamentals are a mess. Mm. So why did I leave? For one reason. Mugabe, for the first time, made a comment about the judiciary. He said, we should have known that we can't trust them. Mm. And it struck me, and with the help of my aunt, who was a Sangoma, it struck me that this was a very dangerous change of heart, change of mind on his part. And uh, this is important for South Africa, because we've already spoken about an enthusiasm that this government has shown 
for for being in breach of uh, seeing the constitution as a nuisance, as a constraint, and we saw that with the Omar Al Bashir case, and as regards the public protectors. So when Mugabe did that, I consulted my aunt, and we decided. Uh, she consulted the Matlouzis and predicted that the country was going to fail. Mm. And, of course, that's the reason why it failed, because Mugabe then tore up the constitution, stopped treating white people as equals and victimized them, just as Hitler decided to make the Jews the scapegoat and the Polish the scapegoat and victimized them. The world reacted and sanctions were applied, and that ensured guaranteed the collapse of Zimbabwe. Are you saying that in South Africa that is that that is the case? Well, are, are you saying this this the situation of black and white is 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 precipitating such and such a thing, and that bl- white people and others, uh, coloreds and so on, are not being treated? What like I'm human? saying is that in terms of our social justice model, we mimic the apartheid model. Mm. We can apply these three statements to the apartheid model. Under apartheid, a black person must be discriminated against. Mm. Statement one. Statement two, a white person must be favored. Mm. Statement three, others like coloreds must be discriminated against unless defined as white. Mm. Apply mm. all three statements, just change the color from black to white and white to black. Mm. It's the exact same model. Mm. That guarantees that that is that guarantees the divisiveness. That guarantees that groups that cannot and are not Classified as blacks Are excluded Mm. Organically You don't have to think about it Mm. I'm not saying That black people in South Africa Are wicked Mm. And that they do this purposely I think it's I think The intentions uh, Were were understandable But you know The road to hell is often Paved with good intentions Mm. But it absolutely guarantees The exclusion of anybody That is Cannot uh, Adopt that label Remember black is not A race it's not an ethnic group. It's simply a color. Mm. You follow. Judge, judge <coughs> so just take us to that point where you made the decision. What then happened? You go to family. Just take us through that moment where you are now. And, and what do you say? And did the you fun- leave quietly or did you? Yeah. The, the, the funny thing, I was greatly influenced by my aunt who was a Sangoma. And Zimbabwe had experienced a, a baby dumping phenomenon a few years before that, which nobody could explain. All our young... Uh, women were dumping their baby, babies, committing infanticide for no apparent reason across the whole country. And nobody has been able to explain it. But she said the Matlozis had advised that that happened because there was no future for these little ones as in the future. There was no future for them. There was going to be a collapse of the country. Mm. And I believed that. But uh, so um, I coupled that with what Mugabe had now, the stance that he had taken about the judiciary. And you know, Whatever else you might say about Mugabe, when he opens his mouth, you better take him seriously. Mm. I took him seriously. Mm. I saw this as the beginning of the end. And yes, thereafter, he actually victimized judges and uh, interfered with the judiciary uh, because the judiciary tried to take a stance on the human rights, especially as regards land grabbing. And the rest is history. Mm. 
I, I think um, Masofa <coughs> made the decision in, in 1986. I think the turning <coughs> points for me was the death of um, uh, uh, President Samora Michel um, mm. uh, from Mozambique. And then the second one, when uh, the power was handed over in terms of uh, from President Banana um, uh, to Prime Minister President Mugabe, who became the executive president. So if you read the speeches around that, there were indications, and I think from the part of uh, Kenan Banana, uh, where he was almost uh, saying, uh, my dear brother Robert, uh, please you know, do this for the good of the country. So there was a little bit of some insinuations uh, in terms of what he might have seen. But none that is it is. Um, I decided to come here in 1990. But for me, I came to pursue or to further my studies. Uh, and obviously, after studying, uh, you know, things started getting worse and worse. I think in 1993, I wrote uh, an article to Professor John Makumbe there in, 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 at the University of Zimbabwe saying that there is something structurally wrong and, and this thing is going to carry on. Because at that stage, I'm saying there are lots of people now from Zimbabwe coming here to buy goods uh, and, and, and so on for, for <coughs> resale. And I said the country or the government must put a structure in place to stop that because it's going to put a lot of pressure on the economy from hospitals to, um, to, to, to infrastructure. So for me, I think I came uh, you know, to, to further my studies, but also I thought I need to go and see the outside world uh, to be able to grow and learn. And secondly, follow through, I think, you know, th during the handover of, 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 of power or to make an executive presidency, um, I almost knew that Zimbabwe at some stage would require a leader who understands the past, who understands the world, who understands economics. Because, you know, in economics is very simple, 101. There must be production of goods and services yes. uh, for it to work. So if there's no production... Basically, you're gonna run down at some stage. You know, you're just gonna be eating, eating from the world without replenishing it. Eventually, you're gonna run dry. So, I thought the best thing for me is go and learn outside, uh, outside Zimbabwe, and hopefully come back and be able to contribute for the common good. But or not only for Zimbabwe. I think Zimbabwe, for me, uh, from 2018 or beyond, will be the center of excellence, and certainly it should be able to be the light for Africa. That there could be a, a proper transition. Um, in terms of power uh, from obviously the older generation to young responsible people who understand today's economics. Because remember today the debate President Gabe can have with Obama, they can't have a debate or David Cameron because they're two different generations. He could have a debate with uh, Margaret Thatcher because it was about colonialism. But today, you know, you need somebody. The, the, the fight really is about economic benefits rather than who is the president. So the world doesn't care actually possibly who is the president today because it's a less caring world. They want to say, what can we do uh, for, 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 our, uh, for our citizens. America cares about America, not anybody. They don't care about uh, who is the president, but they care about their interests everywhere. So we need young people who understand how to price assets, who understand economics, and that's where the battle should be today. Not really about rhetoric and so on. I mean, we're talking about nationalization today. I'm going to just go back to EFF, okay? Now, you're going to talk about nationalization, about uh, resources which are depleting assets. 
Okay, gold is a depleting asset, and the price is down. And you basically there's no beneficiation, so there's absolutely nothing you can do there. You've seen all the economies that are dependent on commodities. Basically, their currencies have taken a plummet. Zambia on copper, the currencies are worse performing. Um, uh, Russia, uh, oil and uh, platinum, uh, the currencies. Uh, Brazil, the currencies have taken to to the dogs. Uh, South Africa, platinum, the biggest producer of platinum. Where is basically our currency today? So for me, I think the issues about innovation and creativity and saying how do we prize these natural resources for the betterment of our people mm. Jamie so um three quick things firstly at some level i was sitting outside my gate you know with my friend we were having a conversation it was about 7 p.m. and a policeman instructed us to go to sleep he was like go into the house go how, to sleep how old were you about i that? was about maybe 17 mm. and i was like you you go in you go into the house you know because it's like why are you sitting around the corners and this is the corner of my house and i thought that's that's problematic um the fact that this policeman can instruct me to go inside and sleep that was the first instance where i started thinking about hang on something's wrong here you know the second thing is that i used to live in bulawayo and there used to be this greyhound station and after a while watching people leave in the greyhound to go to south africa was this big thing, you know, you'd, and you'd view them as the lucky ones because they can go, you know, they can leave. And then the third thing was at some point you begin to realize that the universities have nothing to offer you and there's nothing in the. So let's say you got three B's, you know, at A level, which is which is pretty decent. You wouldn't be able to go to a medical school. You wouldn't be able to because there's only one. There's only 200 spots. There's about 300,000 people who wrote the exam and it, it, it seemed to me like ridiculous because I had three B's and I'm like, I can qualify to do law or medicine. I was doing sciences for uh, three subjects, maths, uh, biology and chemistry. And I thought if I just accept that teaching is now my destiny, that that's going to be stooping way too low um, for all of the preparation that I had spent my, you know, all of the <coughs> dedication. So I was like, look, there's nothing here anyway. I've got to go somewhere else where my dreams can actually come true. So at some point I got onto the Greyhound as well and, and I came here. And at that time there was nothing on the shelves. You had to queue for bread. You'd wake up, queue three hours to get a loaf of bread. And it wasn't like Albany. It was, it wasn't even like the four end bread you get in spa. It, they were using, um, more yeast. So the bread was more fluffy. They put a little bit of sugar in it and they were calling it a super loaf. Um, but you could only get one loaf and you wouldn't get full. Like one family, you know, if there's four or five people, that's three slices or even two. Of a wafer, basically, with tea. And, and you had to queue for salt. So imagine a situation where you are sitting in the home and the headline news in your house is there's salt at that supermarket. There's bread at that supermarket. There's some sugar at that supermarket. Go, go and buy as much as you can. You get to the supermarket after queuing for three hours. They only tell you can only get one packet of salt, one packet, two kgs of sugar, and one loaf. Yeah. To come back to your question as to whether South Africa is going the same way as Zimbabwe. We're getting to that, Judge. I okay. just want to. I just want to 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 say something, Andrew. Okay. You realize that this was this wasn't some far off country, rural. This was the great nation of Zimbabwe, <coughs> the and, most and, fertile uh, place in you know, Africa. And here, and here, they were queuing for bread. They were queuing. We think it won't happen, and I think that's the thing that uh, we just 
we we think this cannot happen to South Africa, but but it could. So just in wrapping up, as 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 we're about to just land this 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 book, we just want to hear from you. Is South Africa becoming a Zimbabwe? Just one minute, Judge uh, and Jamie uh, Joseph, uh, closing thoughts on this. Is South Africa becoming Zimbabwe? As a ex-Zimbabwean, I will tell you that I put this on social media yesterday, and across the racial spectrum, wall to wall, answer was yes. Mm. Including many, many ex-Zimbabweans like me mm. And I should tell you from a personal level uh, I have the same deja vu The same, I have the feeling of uncertainty about the future I have the same feeling of despondency About the way the country is going mm. And um, will it reach the point of collapse? I'm inclined to believe that the jury is still out on that. Mm. There is a fundamental difference between South Africa and Zimbabwe. Zimbabweans were never free mm. because you don't have freedom if you live in fear. When you cannot speak openly, uh, you cannot hold the government to account. Mm. I would never talk about Robert Mugabe even on the golf course. Yeah. Whereas in South Africa, people are free and they express themselves and our friend at the end there has, uh, told us about how colorfully and robustly people like Julius Malema, you could never do that in Zimbabwe. Mm. So the government is being held to account in South Africa. Yeah. That's the difference. Just so, is your aunt still alive? Can she throw the bones? No, and, uh, unfortunately, uh, we, we <laughs> lost her. <laughs> we, that that might have been a shortcut to this answer. <laughs> Jamie, uh, is South Africa becoming <clears throat> Zimbabwe? I think, firstly, nobody ever thinks it could happen to them. So I'm a Manchester United fan. We never thought we could ever play Shame. anything Shame. below top one. Um, and, and now we suck. So it, anything can happen to anybody. And I think in Africa, more than any other place, everything is still in flux. So I really don't think it becomes Zimbabwe the way Zimbabwe became Zimbabwe. Because Zimbabwe has happened. It's like the worst case scenario. I think what happens is one of two scenarios. Either you get the worst case scenario and this white flight and Senton becomes desolate, which I don't really see happening because people still want to do business in Africa and South Africa is the most advanced economy. What I do see is that the black people get screwed over more and more, if I may say that, in, in an advanced system. Because what happens when the political class no longer cares is that they will take way more than they even do now. And the black people won't have an exit out of the ghettos to, to go into Santon. So you won't necessarily need to have a passbook, but you won't actually be able to afford this side of the world. And that's what I'm beginning to see. If you look at the matric results, I mean, it's 21%, but if you look at it closely, half of the students never got to grade 12. Mm. So it's actually 10.5%. Of that 10.5-16% graduates. Of that 16% is predominantly white kids. And South Africa has a 3% degree degree population. So who are those people? You know, if you go to the 1,731 private schools, you benefit. And if you didn't and you go to the public schools, you are basically stuck in Soweto and you can't get out. And I think that's going to accelerate to the point where the rhetoric of Malema and other uh, uh, alternatives may become more appealing. But I don't actually know if Malema can actually govern a state. And that's where we could become like Zimbabwe because they can talk a good game, but I haven't seen organizational building that actually indicates to nation building. So it could go either way, I mm -hmm. think. Joseph, uh, you already said right up front that South Africa is not likely to become Zimbabwe. Um, I, 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 has 
this conversation maybe changed your mind around uh, the, the, the likelihood of South Africa becoming Zimbabwe. And a very important thing has been raised here just about a divided nation that we are. And, and how would that then lead to us becoming Zimbabwe? So this is 20 years uh, or so into the democratic uh, dispensation essay. And, and I think if I go back to the judge, you know, we, we are a polarized nation. You've got in Kruger's job a school that says they don't want a black um, principal. Um, and, and children do not have to go to school because the parents decide to close the school because of that. So, so the division is too pronounced um, and it could precipitate into anything. So when I said no, um, really, uh, you know, I, I would attach a probability there. So you you have certainly a 50% chance that that could happen, um, uh, but it will be gradual. But also remember Zimbabwe, it didn't happen overnight. It was really after about 20 years, and this was basically uh, when the currency was uh, devalued when we printed money um, to give to the war veterans. So there's a lot of people who are not happy, who think they're not getting enough, who think possibly the top 100 families, just like in Zimbabwe, possibly about 100 families, politically connected families, that are benefiting and forgetting the majority. What you do not want is the majority to run out of persons and to say, well, listen, we've got nothing to protect, um, so we're going to destroy. And the culture of de- destruction is here. And when that happens, because the others, the political class needs basically to survive, then there's political experience. They say, well, do as you please. I want to ask one more question before you and I wrap up, and it's a simple yes or no to all three guests. Do you think you made the right choice coming to South Africa? Yes or no? Yes. 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 Okay, that's a good. I have, I have, goodness. I have one, one last question, and oh, uh, maybe just, question. just, just whoever can take it quickly. <laughs> it's literally ten seconds. How should South Africans then be treating the white people that have this? Because you're essentially saying that Zimbabwe collapsed. A big part of that was the white people left, and they left with the resources. How should South Africa be treating white people in order to make sure that Zimbabwe doesn't happen? I, th- I think that the problem should be defined. As poverty, disadvantage, mm. dispossession, as part as apartheid legacy, and mm. it should be made the criteria for affirmative action mm. and for empowerment, not race. Oh, okay. So, so you just not just that you're black, but you, what are your circumstances? And then the whole nation will unite to attack uh, to att- uh, to address poverty. Yes, yes. Joseph, quickly. Well, I, I think South Africa needs to be inclusive. A lot of people need to make sure that, you know, they try and embrace diversity as much as possible. And to the majority of South Africans, which is African, uh, South Africans or black South Africans, I think let's acquire skills so that we can take the country forward. Rory. Andrew. I was very uh, opposing of this idea that South Africa will become uh, Zimbabwe. And my view has shifted slightly, but I still feel like we're in a good space. I don't think we're in a good space. I I actually, after this conversation, feel that we're in a lot of danger. I'm not sure I agree with our guests that uh, EFF necessarily equals Zimbabwe, Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, I I can certainly understand because there's there's the language you speak to get yourself into office, then there's the language you start speaking when you are in office. It's like Obama. Uh, there's a lot of things he said. He got into office and 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 things got 
not real. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it's worrying. And the question then becomes, what do you and me as individuals do about that? Because it's not about government. We've heard about how the ordinary Zimbabweans also contributed to this by not being inclusive, uh, by make, by, by, by not, not voicing, not dealing with inequality quickly enough. Uh, so, so what, what are you and me going to do? Andrew, when you leave the studio, what are you going to do? Yo, uh, you, you can't ask me like that. Like I'm going to have the, the, the answer here. Why? I think, I think the interesting thing for me is to say, I think, our next discussion needs to be about Zuma must fall and whether it is a relevant topic or whether we should be having this or not because of this exact thing of people are voicing their frustrations. And if they didn't voice, what would happen? Well, ahead of the show, you said somebody said um, uh, uh, for, for Zimbabwe to come right, uh, uh, Mugabe needs to fall, but uh, he's not going to fall because they're going to fall as well. And that's the question. Will Zuma fall? We don't know. So, Parting shots from uh, WeChat uh, uh, listener Andrew Nyanzvigo. Uh, just something for us to keep in mind. He says, guys, nothing hurts when your your own government you have voted to to bring out of oppression, but does vice versa. Uh, this is a Zimbabwean. Uh, so he says, never South Africa will become a Zimbabwe because it's a strong base, a constitution. But let's keep in mind what the judge said. Some of the things that Mugabe did were constitutional. Thank you to our guests. Uh, we had Jamie Mighty, uh, Joseph Busher, and Judge Chris Greenland in order of youngest to oldest. We really appreciate it. Of course, Idan as well from Zimbabwe, as well as our Joe Pro blog. Joe Pro blog, Matt Centric. Uh, we're going to be that bringing him in. That guy was out to lunch. I'm sorry. I don't know about that guy. You didn't like him? Did not like that guy. Oh my <laughs> gosh. I didn't. I liked him. I didn't like his views. Let's say that. Have yeah. yourself a great Wednesday. Some Zimbabwean beautiful music. Viva Zimbabwe. Viva. This is cliffcentral.com.